0: Revelation chapter 3, we've been looking at the messages to the seven churches and we come to church number five today, the church of Sardis. Church number one was the church of Ephesus and the church there lost its first love and, and God really spoke to some of you who had lost that first love yourself. It says that there's a message to the churches. So he had something to say to the church of Ephesus. But then he has something to say to all churches of all times. But then he ends by saying, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so specifically to us individually, God also speaks to us. And some of you, God spoke that you had lost your first love. And, and in that message, you've regained it. And now after a few weeks, you're enjoying the blessings of returning and walking in that first love. The second church was the church of Smyrna, the persecuted church, and God had nothing of instruction of repentance towards them at all. The persecution had purged them and made them a church ready for the Lord's return. Then there was the church of Pergamos, and that was the compromising church, listening to the doctrine of Balaam and had erred and swayed into immorality and idolatry. And last week we looked at the church of Thyatira, which was the immoral church, the church that had... Gone astray um, into immorality, into idolatry, listening to Jezebel. And the Lord said there, if they don't repent, that He's going to put them in the tribulation period, which is a heavy, heavy, heavy thing. And today we come to the, the church of Sardis, and it reads there, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says, He who has his seven spirits of God and seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And so today, as we read this, we just want to have that heart. When the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby. And she goes, I'm not married. I've never known a man. And he explained it to her and then her heart was this, let it be unto me according to your word. What a great heart. That's the spirit we want to have today. So Lord, just speak to us as we have ears to hear and be it unto us according to your word. Well, the angel of the church of Sardis. Sardis is in Turkey today in Asia Minor, once known as Asia From Sardis was called the Royal Road that went into the Persian cities into the east. On the Mel route, you can see it, it's like a horseshoe shape um, hitting the various churches. And Sardis is 50 miles east of Smyrna and 30 miles north of Thyatira. It was a very wealthy city because of the trade route. And we have a picture here of Lower Sardis. And again, a very wealthy, famous city. It was actually the capital of the Lydian kingdom. And then above the valley was the Acropolis that each of the cities we've looked at, except for Thyatira, had that Acropolis in which they built the temples to the various gods. This particular Acropolis was 1,500 feet high from the base up with steep cliffs. It was almost impenetrable. But it's interesting that this city twice was conquered. Once in 559 B.C. by Cyrus and then later in 214 B.C. by Antiochus the Great. And both times it was conquered, it was with, almost without a battle because the watchers weren't watching. <laughs> and they did not expect an attack. And so they simply walked in and took over the city. Which is interesting because he's going to tell the church, you guys need to be watching. You need to be praying. You need to be ready lest he come as a thief in the night and take you away. And so the church here, much like the city in the past, would be found not ready for the return of Christ and the, as they were not ready for the attack of the various kings that came against them. It's on the Pactolus uh, River. Also, Ephesus and Smyrna were uh, towards the Mediterranean Sea, but 60 miles from the ocean. There, uh, along the river, was found uh, Sardis. We see here a picture of the Lydian burial ground where the royalty uh, were once buried uh, with incredible tombs, but now it's simply a a tell there that needs to be excavated. The whole town revolved around a plaza, and in that plaza was a shopping center, but also they had gymnasiums with bathhouses and... uh, Again, a very wealthy place and well-to-do, and the people lived in a lavish lifestyle. The main god they worshipped there was the god of Artemis. In the Romans, they called the god Diana, one and the same. And we've talked about that because that was the chief god of Ephesus as well, the goddess of fertility. Her twin brother was Apollo, and their dad was Zeus, who, if you know Greek mythology, is the top god. And uh, the temple was actually the seventh largest temple in the world, twice as big as the Pantheon, to give you an idea how huge and elaborate it was at one time. Also, they worshipped Sibley there, who, again, a very immoral pagan rituals of worship in both of these religions. And so the town was filled with mystic cults. Paganism, immorality, open licentiousness, the church had to see on a regular basis. The Jews also had a prominent synagogues there. And many places they were persecuted for not worshiping their various pagan gods. But here, the Christians, as well as the Jews, uh, were not persecuted for their faith, which might be part of the problem of why they were apathetic. And so the church of Sardis is known as the apathetic church. And he says there in verse 1, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So as each church, he takes a portion of the description we see in chapter 1 and attributes to the church. That's the thing they need to focus on. And the church of Sardis needs to focus on Jesus as he stands there with the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. In chapter 1, verse 20, he makes it clear. That the spirits are the angels of the churches and that the stars are the churches themselves. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 7 it says, And the angels, he says, that's God says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And so we find that the angels are also called spirits. And these are the ones that are ministering to the churches, bringing the message to the churches. And um, some try to tie in Isaiah 11 and look at the seven aspects of the Spirit of God and so forth. And maybe that ties in. But uh, it's not clear that that would tie in. I'm not going to go there. But he also goes on to say, I know your work. So again, each of the churches says, I know. You have one presentation of what you want people to think about you. And then you have something you think about yourself. And then there's the truth. (laughs) Where God looks right through all the smoke and mirrors and sees you for who you truly, truly are. I know who you really are in truth, right down to the very core of your being. And in this particular case, he says, I know about you that you have a name or a reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. They had this reputation of this incredibly on fire church and no doubt in the past they had some radical successes and they just sort of been riding the wave of that past reputation and people just sort of inferred that they were still that on fire church that they once were. But in reality they weren't. They might have had a large gathering of people Maybe the church there was thousands of people that would gather to listen to the message. Well, a large crowd of people doesn't mean they're on fire. It means a large crowd of people's there. And, uh, I mean, try it sometime. If you're ever over at the the zoo or SeaWorld or something, just stop and point. And act like you're talking to the person next to you and just keep pointing. Before you know it, you'll have 200 people around you. And uh, you can walk away and come back half an hour later and somebody else is pointing. They're all around. People bring people. That doesn't mean that they're on fire for the Lord. A large crowd of people will bring a large crowd of people. Today, you see the many churches have the goal of trying to make a large church, try to get a lot of people together. And you have these seeker-friendly churches. And it looks like it's a live thing. They have, you know, modern type of worship. And a couple of them, they've actually gotten permission to have Disney characters come out and greet you as the greeters, you know. Here comes Goofy or Mickey Mouse and they walk the kids off to the Sunday school class and so forth. And, and it looks like they're modern and up-to-date. I heard one of these guys on the radio this week and it just grieved me because they don't mention Jesus, they say God. They don't mention sin, they mention failure. They don't mention repentance, they, meant, they mention a change of life. They don't mention the consequences of not obeying God as eternal hell. They'd never mention that. Because they basically want to have this message that would offend no one and will keep them coming back. And then they basically infer your simple presence at church will guarantee a rightness with God. Guys, going to church will not make you a Christian, no more than going to Winchell's will make you a police officer. <laughs> Or going to McDonald's will make you a Big Mac. (laughs) Going to church doesn't make people Christians. It's where Christians gather to learn the word of God and to grow. But they basically say, come and gather and be a part of what's happening. And uh, that's sufficient. Interesting, Jesus in Luke 5, he tells a parable and he says, No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskin, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins, and it'll spill, and the wineskin will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskin. Both are preserved. And no one, like having drunk the old wine, immediately desires the new. For he says, the old is better. So it's always funny to see how you're trying to move people into that new thing that god's doing not new doctrine not new truth not new teaching but just a new methodology of what the god's doing and people are stuck in the mud they like their habits they like their old ways of doing things and we got to understand as a church we're an organism if you have a baby that doesn't grow doesn't change something's wrong right I mean, if you see your little nephew or your cousin or whatever, and he's five years old, and you come back two years later, and he looks exactly as the day when you left, that's scary, isn't it? And the church is, a, we're the body of Christ. We're a living organism. And there's constant change that's to be happening. Matter of fact, the, 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 science tells us that every seven years, the cells of your body completely change out, except for a couple little pieces of your body. You have completely different cells in your body. And so the church is this living organism and, and people often say, Let's just keep it the way it is, let's just put a patch on it. But you have a garment that's already shrunken and you put an unshrunk piece of cloth once it begins to shrink, once the wine begins to touch it and it begins to shrink, it's going to cause a worse tear and the whole thing's going to be lost. Or you say, Let's just keep the old wineskin and, and get a new fresh pouring of God's Spirit, a new wine in it. But when it begins to ferment, it's gonna the, the pouch in which it's in won't be able to handle that fermentation process and it'll break apart. He says you have to have a new wine skin, and then you can get the new wine. And so we have to constantly be in the spirit. We have to constantly be saying, God, what are you doing now? It's interesting. Looking through history. There is a point in time when the organ came in the church, you know, and the organ was the hip thing, you know, wah, 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 you know. And it's like, whoa. This is so modern. This is so radical. Worshiping God by the boisterous organ, you know. But there was a time when the organ was gone. But boy, people, I'm not going to leave my organ. You know, it's got to stay. And then brass bands came in. The Salvation Army, man, they put people in these military uniforms and gave them trumpets and trombones and the big bass drum, and they marched around, and thousands of people came to hear the brass band. And, and literally, the Salvation Army around the world was a tremendous evangelist. But when that wineskin was emptied out, boy, they kept their uniforms and marched around, and people said, weird. You know, that's some weird old-timey music, but boy, they kept blasting away until a few years ago they finally caught on. I know I grew up in a church, and when the Jesus movement came, people started having bands with guitars. And I remember in the domination I was in. It was like, they're bringing Satan's instrument into the church, you know? Guitars, they're going to try to worship God with an unholy instrument. And boy, they're going to hang on to their organs and, you know, got our four hymns and the five stanzas and, you know, we're going to do things this way. Finally, that denomination started using guitars just a few years ago and they're singing all the songs we sang 30 years ago. But uh, it's funny to to see how people say we got to hang on to our old wineskin. And if you do that, the church can die because God's doing a new thing. And you're not a part of that new thing that God's doing. Very simply, though, you go from having a reputation of being alive but are really dead when you stop obeying the word. Very simply. You crash and burn when you stop living the simple Christian life. Jesus said it's like a house being built on a rock versus a house being built on sand. Those who hear God's word and do it, they're founded upon a rock. Those who hear God's word and don't do it, so they know it. You see, a lot of people get deceived because they think knowing the stuff is the same as doing the stuff. It's not. Knowing the right way to obey God and doing the right way in obeying God are two completely different things. And so people can know a whole bunch of information and obey little. Or some people can know a little bit, but everything they know, they obey. Mark Twain says, it's not what I don't know about the Bible that bothers me, it's what I do know about the Bible that bothers me. Because he knew he was not obeying that which he knew. And so those who hear God's word, it says, they built their house upon the sand, then it says, and great was the fall of that house. Great was the fall of that house. And so the church here in Sardis was getting ready to have a great fall. Why? Because the winds and the waves come and beat against the house. And guys, winds and waves come. Difficulties on its way. You've experienced it, and you're going to experience it again. So maybe ten years ago, the winds and the waves hit against your house. But in those days, you were a new Christian, and you were hearing God's word and doing it, and you made it through it. Well, guys, it's going to come again. <laughs> so you stood the last time because you had you're on the rock. Are you now? How have you been doing the last few months, the last few years? When the next winds and waves come, are you going to stand this time around as well? The church in Sardis wasn't going to, and the Lord was telling him that he's on the way, the tribulation's coming, and that they are not prepared to obey. In James 1, it says, He who but be doers of the word, it says in James 1.22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself." When you hear the word and you're not a doer of it, you actually get inoculated to the truth. It's like the, getting your flu shot every year. So the flu can't attack you. Well, after a while, you can't hear it anymore. Because you're saturated with the word of God. Instead of it changing your life, you'd be just, oh, I already know that. Oh yeah, I already know that. I've heard that before. But yet it's not affecting your heart because you're not a doer of it and you've gone into this Self-deception. Where it's, well, since I know it, I must be the same as doing it. But he says here to the church in Sardis, But you are dead. Boy, that's heavy. That's heavy. For the Lord himself to say, You have this past reputation of being this on fire, praying, evangelizing people, but not anymore. There's no life of what's going on. There's no reality of obedience to God. You know, if you were to look around the nation, or let's just take our county here, and you have somebody here in town, and they're going through a difficult time, and they say, I need God. The Holy Spirit's convicting them of sin and righteousness of judgment, and they say, I need God. And so they start looking at a church, the Presbyterian, the Lutheran, the Methodist, the Baptist, whatever branch you want to talk about, and so they show up at this church. What are they going to find? Are they going to find an on fire people that don't just have a form of godliness with no power, but have a true walk with the Lord and the answers they seek are the answers they find? Are they going to find this dead thing? I hate to say it, but I think the majority of the time, for sure, in our nation, What they'll find is a group of people who gather together and they sing some songs and the moment they get in, the number one thing on their mind is getting out of there. And they listen to this message that just sort of is a social gospel and they walk out of there going, those guys don't have any answers. They're they're as screwed up as I am. They're struggling as much. They, They don't have the answers. That's not the way it's to be. We're to come in and to have a powerful Message And there's to be a, the presence of the Lord meeting us in a powerful way in that place. Why is it that a, a church can become so dead? I, I know our missionaries over in Germany and, and England and all through Europe. It's amazing when you go over there. You can see these colossal buildings. I mean, there's several of them. I mean, they'll seat three, four thousand people. And every Sunday morning, 20 people go to this church. That's it. Things seats 4,000 and 20 people are there. Had one missionary and he took some pictures and it's interesting because he took a picture of them worshiping inside the church service and then he took a picture, this was in England, of all the guys sitting on the steps. There's about 200 punk rocker looking guys, you know, with everything pierced and sitting out on the front steps, just hanging out. (laughs) And he put a little note in the caption that said, the only thing this church has to offer now is steps to sit on. And so instead of going to church, he went out and started preaching to the people sitting on the steps, pulled out his guitar, started singing, and, and preached to the people on the steps. A church that once was just full of life, but now you are dead. Why does that happen? I think, number one, they quit praying. We look at the church. It was birth in prayer. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Can you remember one time when you were alive, and, man, you were praying, and, oh, prayer works, and God hears me, and it's powerful, and it was just, woo, you know, you prayed all the way to work, you prayed all the way home from work, you... Prayed at your lunch hour, you got together, and there's prayer. That's why Sunday nights, I, I just constantly say, guys, come and pray with us. We worship, we have a time in the word, and we pray for an hour. Come and pray with us. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, consider one another to love in good works. And it says, stir up, provoke. Literally, it, it means to irritate, to be angry. That's what that word means, to love in good works. So I'm going to irritate you, (laughs) provoke you until you get mad here, and say, okay, I'll come out Sunday night. If that's what it takes. Because you're really missing out on just a tremendous time where two or three gather together in my name. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, first of all, Timothy, you're starting the church there, you're pastor in Ephesus, number one priority, make sure there's supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks made for all men. He says the number one thing, make sure that the church is doing is praying. But yet if you were to look at the churches around our nation, would you find any prayer meeting the church is having at all? And if they are having a prayer meeting, You know, they by faith set up five chairs in some little back room, hoping they'll get filled. That's the state of most churches. I would dare say 99% of the churches don't have prayer meetings. And if they do, the fraction of the people that go to it represent the church. There's not faith, there's not that heart of prayer. But I think the church of Sardis was once a radically praying church and they were known for the congregation packing out the sanctuary and crying out to God in prayer but now the prayer meeting is the least of all the attended services also discipleship in Matthew 28 Jesus spoke to them and said all authority all power has been given to me in heaven on earth what would you do with all power If you could control the people of the world, or in this case, the Christians, if you had all power given to you, what would you do? Here's what Jesus did. He exhorted them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The word disciple means a learner. It's a transliteration of the Greek word that means to learn. And then he says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age go out and make people that will learn and follow me he tells in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 he says therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you've heard from me among many witnesses commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also discipleship you know it's interesting if you think about it but let's say you could become this powerful evangelist i mean Ten a hundred times more powerful than Billy Graham or Billy Sunday or any other great evangelist throughout history. And let's say that you were so powerful that you could have hundreds of thousands of people that show up every day to hear you preach. So we put a little balcony up here on the top of our tower. Hundreds of thousands of people show up to listen to you preach. And every day, a hundred thousand people come to Christ. Every day, 100,000 people who are sinners receive Christ as their Savior. And let's say you kept doing that 365 days a year. Do you know how long it would take before the entire world got saved? It would take you 165 years. Do you realize how many antioxidants you would have to take to live 165 years? No. (laughs) Obviously, you can't do it. But if that same person would just get serious and seek God for a year and just learn the word of God and in the course of that year they lead one person to Christ and now they spend an entire year discipling that one person helping them learn how to go through spiritual warfare and temptations and answer their questions and to learn the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and the next year the two of them go out and lead two people to Christ and disciple them for a year And the next year, the four of them. Do you know how long it would take before the whole world was saved and discipled for a year? 35 years. Isn't it radical that Jesus' commandments even work out mathematically? That's your generation. You're responsible for your generation. But most people don't study the word themselves. In Isaiah 50, we see Jesus' example. It said, morning by morning, he awakens and quickens his ear as a disciple. It says in Isaiah 50, verse 4, that he might have a word to speak to the weary in the day. For you to be a disciple every day, to take time in the word and to obey God and be instructed by him. But also we discover that a church that's dead, probably not praying, probably not discipling, probably not evangelizing either. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verses 1 through 5, he says this, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and what? Out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn Their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The Lord is saying to every one of us who are Christians here, we're all ministers. And he's saying, roll up your sleeves and get in the battle, guys. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You say, but, 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 you know, I I tried and it didn't feel right. Oh, that was out of season. Preach the word anyway. But I didn't really have time. Out of season. Go for it anyway. But I tried. It just seems so difficult. That's why it's called the work of an evangelist. It's work. But get in there. Convince, rebuke, labor with all long suffering and teaching. Do the work of an evangelist. There's nothing that's more full of life than a bunch of babies and little kids running around. You know what I mean? And just the little life in those little guys with all that energy just sort of revitalizes you. In the same way in the church, new Christians with that first love, you see their passion in prayer and their passion in worship and you're sitting back going, oh, and you remember your first love and you're like, wow. They're being an example to me right now, even though they've only been saved a week. I need that passion in my life too. We need people coming to the Lord. Uh, A few years back, I was talking to a guy and he said, you know, you guys at Calvary, you just teach not the real deep doctrinal stuff like at our church. I will leave the church unnamed. Matter of fact, he said, every person in our church is just a radically mature Christian. Matter of fact, probably the newest Christian in our church has been 20 years in the Lord. And his daughter was sitting there listening to this and she was in her early 30s. And she said, Dad, did you just hear what you said? it's what? That nobody's been saved in our church for 20 years. <laughs> the next Sunday she started coming to our church and went for several years uh, until she moved to North County. But that's the... The process of most churches, people aren't getting saved. They can't remember the last time anybody in the church witnessed. And on top of that, anybody actually getting saved. But we gotta realize that Christ has commanded us to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. Whether they receive it or not, it says in Second Corinthians, whether life unto life or death and death, it's still a beautiful incense unto God. In Romans it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who go to spread the good news. Jesus says, one plants and another waters. But he says in John 4 that the one who plants the seed and the one who harvests, they all rejoice together. So the fact is, you're going to go out and plant all of these seeds and maybe not see a harvest for a season. Or on the other side of the coin, you go to share the Lord with somebody and you barely start witnessing to them. They're going, oh, I need to receive the Lord. How do I do it? And you're going, wow, I'm getting good at this stuff. It had nothing to do with you. It had to do with the other 25 people who planted seeds over the last 10 years before you ever showed up on the scene. And then their neighbor and the guy at work, everybody's been watering them, and you just happened to be there when it was ripe. But either way, it's a joyful thing, whether we plant or whether we actually get to harvest, that we're doing the work of an evangelist. According to the statistics, 97% of American Christians have never once tried to share their faith. That's pretty heavy. And out of that 3%, it's a fraction that have ever had the opportunity to lead somebody to Christ. And so we, as believers who are to be alive, healthy sheep produce what? Healthy sheep. And people who are born again, You can't keep your mouth shut. I was blind and now I see. Jesus said, don't go tell anybody. Be quiet about it. But here's this guy telling the whole city. Jesus healed me. I was blind and now I see. When you've really been touched by God, you can't hide your candle under a bushel or under the bed. You shine as a light. And so a praying church, a church of discipleship, a church of evangelism, you are the church. Your hand, a foot, an ear, the eye. Every one of us, an intricate, important part. Every part doing its share. How important it is. And then, fourthly, just simple obedience. Nothing fancy. (laughs) Just day-to-day being in the Word and following the Lord. It's amazing how people can start getting compromising as Christians and getting lukewarm as Christians and they get to the place where they go back to the old sins that God once brought them out of. But yet in their old sins they now say, no, I'm still right with God. Look at this scripture here. It's like, man, here you are going to the bar every Friday night and you're drinking and smoking and womanizing and dancing and all of these things. Well, you know, show me the Bible where it's wrong to smoke. Well, you know what? Smoking isn't going to send you to hell, but it sure makes you smell like you've been there. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. But I remember when you used to give the testimony of how God delivered you from smoking. And that was one of the things that you saw that was like a bondage on your life, control of your life, and and that God set you free. You see, part of your, your testimony that you used to live this life in the bar, and God set you free from alcohol. So for you, it was a sin. For you, it was something that God delivered you from. And now you're justifying and saying it's no big deal that I'm a part of that. And you even have scriptures you're backing it up with that it's okay for you to do that. Where's that simple obedience? Are you in the word? Are you seeking God? Are you spending time in prayer? When's the last time you shared the Lord with somebody? Who are you discipling right now? Are you yourself being a disciple, daily hearing? And learning from the Lord. It comes back to that life of simple obedience. In 1 John chapter 2, now by this you know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk. Just as he walked. Wasn't that your heart? To walk just like Jesus. I want to talk like Jesus. I want to walk like Jesus. I want to spend my Friday nights. Just like Jesus would do if he were here. Just like a simple little child. Imitating their dad. That's who you used to be. To come back to that. Simple obedient life. But they are now dead. They, ha- they used to have. This praying. Evangelizing. Discipling. Discipling church, walking in simple obedience before the Lord. But now they're dead. And he says in verse 2, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Be watchful. That word watchful is almost always tied into prayer. And so some, it's almost the word watch is a synonym for prayer. But it's not really necessarily referring to prayer. For example, when Jesus there was going to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was to be arrested and then later crucified, he says to Peter, James, and John, stay here and watch with me. He says in Matthew twenty-six thirty-eight, And then in verse 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed. So he said, watch with me, and then he went and prayed. And later he comes and he found them sleeping. And he said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Can you not watch one hour with me? Indeed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He tied watching and praying, it's like a soberness, it's like a a sober heart of prayer, realizing that we're constantly before God, we're constantly in the spiritual realm. And there's this sense of just praying without ceasing. And to have this sober life of prayer. In Matthew 24, Jesus says this in verse 40. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. And then he says in verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. And in verse 43, But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was, would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. In, verse, in Luke chapter 18, interesting that story of the, the persistent widow who comes to the unjust judge who doesn't fear God or respect man. Jesus says, I'm going to tell you this parable that you always pray and never lose heart. And she persisted and persisted until finally the judge says, I haven't changed. I still don't respect man. I still don't fear God, but you're going to wear me out. What do you want? So I can do it. So you'll go away. And then in Luke 18, Jesus says this, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Now listen to the very last part of verse 8 here. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Jesus is saying when he comes again, is going to find faith. What's his definition of faith? People like this persistent widow who crying out to God day and night, who are watching and what? Praying. And he's basically questioning whether any Christians on the planet will be doing that. Will I find anyone who has that heart of prayer and sees the importance of it and believes in the power of it? Watch, therefore, he says, right up until the Lord comes again. And then he says, strengthen the things which remain. Maybe you've had this experience where you had a tree and you thought was dead. I've had it happen more than once. I don't have a very green thumb. And uh, and all of a sudden, a rainstorm comes, or the kids are playing with the hose in the backyard, and all of a sudden, this thing gets drenched in water, and it starts leaves start coming on it. You go, "Wow! I thought that thing was dead." And then five years later, here is this big, giant, fruitful tree, and you thought, "Man, I, I almost ripped that thing out of the ground. If I wasn't so lazy, I probably would have." But that's another story. No, um, <laughs> and you're surprised. Well, Jesus is looking at this church and saying, you guys are like that dead tree. You have a reputation, but I just see this dried, shriveled up thing. But he says, quickly, strengthen this thing. Start watering this thing now. I love that heart of King David. Remember when he had left Israel and went to live in the land of the Philistines? He lived there in Ziglag and He was living totally disobediently. He left the promised land. He was going on a raiding party and wiping people out. And later when he wanted to build the temple, God said, no, you're a man of bloodshed. Can't let you build the temple. But it turned out that the Philistines said, come on, we're going to go to war against Israel and we know you hate them. Let's go to battle. And David's freaking out going, oh God, get me out of this one. I can't fight against your people. And then the general said, go home. And David went back to Ziglag to find The Amalekites had came and burnt down completely his town and taken all the wives and all the kids and all the spoil. And here's David and these mighty men just weeping and they're depressed. And it says they were wanting to stone David. It says in 1 Samuel 36, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because of the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. And it says this, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And here the Lord is saying that same thing strengthen yourself in the Lord. In Galatians 6 9, it says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in the due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. No matter how great mom's cooking is, after a while it's regular. No matter how awesome prayer is, no matter how awesome the word is, no matter how awesome the things of God are, after a while, it becomes regular. And then the attacks can come. And here they had lost heart. Maybe it was finances. Maybe it was attack on you physically. Maybe it was attack relationally. And it was hard already, and this made it just so much harder. You sort of threw your hands up and said, I'm going to set my sword down. I'm going to set my shield down. Satan, I'll back off if you'll back off. And Satan says, absolutely. And you gave up in the midst of the battle. Boy, you hear about that. There was that one story of the Olympic athlete. And here they're running. They just had a a football-filled distance left to go, and they quit. They later interviewed her and just said, I couldn't go any further. Ran over almost 26 miles and just had to quit. Just couldn't go any. Just weeping and just lost heart, just said, I, I, My body can't do it anymore. And just mentally, she just stopped. There's people like that that are looking towards heaven, looking towards the last breath they breathe, but along the way, they let themselves grow weary. How do you let yourself grow weary? In Isaiah chapter 40, it says this He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might increases strength. Is that where you're at? You feel weak today? Do you feel exactly that way? You have no might? Well, God will give you his strength and give you his might. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But those who wait on the Lord, that word wait means to diligently seek God in the word and prayer. Means to dig in, and and it's not like you're passively waiting at a bus stop for the bus to come. That's not what this word "wait" means. But to earnestly seek God, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And notice what else? They shall mount up with wings like eagles. You know, the thing I love about God, He never has an attitude. You know, you see the prodigal son after years of squandering his life and all his money, and here he comes back. And what does the dad do? Oh, now you come back when you're broke, huh? After you have wasted all these years, and now you come crawling back. What do you want? Something from me? He never has an attitude. What does he do? The son comes back. Oh, can you make me a servant? He's like, put the robe, put the ring on him, put the sandals on him. Oh, my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. And let's celebrate. I love the Lord. He he says, you know what? You walked away from me. You haven't been seeking me. You have a past reputation. You've sort of been riding that wave. But it's finally caught up with you. And the reality is, is you're dead. And because of that dead state, you've grown weary. You've grown sinful. You've grown weak. The things of God are a burden to you. The things that are right seem evil to you but just turn right now. And what does God say? After a six-month probationary period, maybe I'll give you a little strength. It's not what he says. He says, as soon as you start seeking me again, boom, you start flying. Like an eagle, man, you just start soaring. He renews the strength, and immediately you haven't been in flight for years, but you're soaring like you've been flying the whole time. And then when you come back to the earth, man, you're running, and it doesn't tire you out at all. It says there, they shall run and not be weary." And then notice, now they shall walk and not faint. So now you go back to the day-to-day routine. Now you go back to the same job, to the same house, to the same everything, but all of a sudden it's, you're not growing weary anymore. All of a sudden, you're not feeling like you're going to collapse, because you've come back to that first love, you come back to that place of seeking the Lord. In Jude verse 20, it says this, but you beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, build yourself up, strengthen yourself up in the word, in prayer, being led by the spirit. And then he says this there in Revelation chapter three, verse two, he then goes on to say that these things are ready to die. Strengthen the things that remain because they're ready to die. Under the ground, in the root system, there's a little bit of life. But you know what? You better water it today because tomorrow may be too late. Definitely don't wait till next week. It doesn't matter how much your water you give it then. It's going to be gone. And for some of you, this is a word for you now saying you can't even wait till tomorrow morning. You need to go today and get into the word. You need to go today and spend time in the prayer. You need to go today to wait on the Lord to get that strength renewed. And then he says, for I have not found your works perfect before God. The word perfect is the same word in the Greek for mature, same word for complete. And really none of those words really say what it means, but sort of all of them together. It's saying that you, you, you stop short. You were you, you on this growth pattern and all of a sudden something happened. You just stopped in a neutral position. But the Christian life is going upstream. If you stop paddling, guess what? <laughs> the things of the world and your sinful body and... It'll just take you right downstream. And like a dog returning to its vomit, you'll turn back to the same old sins as you did in your ignorance. And he's saying here, there's a work that needs to be completed, but it's not happening. You've stopped short. And then he goes on to say in verse three, the remedy for apathy. Here's three things he gives. If you find yourself today in this apathetic Christian life. Number one, remember therefore how you received and heard. Go back and remember, how did I used to follow God? How did I used to get in the word? How did I used to pray? How did I used to seek the Lord? In Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7, it says this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in the thanksgiving." Just go back and remember how you, when you were on that growth pattern. Man, I got up every morning at 4.30 and read the Bible for an hour. Go back then and start doing that again. Oh, I used to try to read the Bible through every three months. Do it again. Go back to that pattern of life that God had established in you before. Secondly, hold fast. Guys, in these last days, it's holding on until the Lord comes back. It says in 1 Timothy 4 that the Spirit expressly says in these last times that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. There's people that are going to depart from the faith because they didn't hold on to sound doctrine. Hold on to sound doctrine. If it's new, it's what? Not true. And if it's true, it's what? It's not new. Hold on to sound doctrine. Also in 2 Timothy 3, it says in these last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. And then it ends by saying they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But they still have a form of godliness with no power in it and from such turn away. In the last days, there's going to be this consuming self-love the love for the world, the love for the things of the world. And the Bible says if you have the love of the things of the world in you, the love of the Father can't dwell in you. Hold on to the love of the Father. In Jude, it says keeping yourself in the love of God. Hold on, guys. It's going to only get tougher as we go forward. In 2 Timothy 3, it says evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. But you, Timothy, hold on to those things that you remember from your youth and where you learned them and don't go backwards, hang on. And then thirdly, he says, repent. So remember where you have received and heard them, go back to that place where you used to be. Go, go find your Bible, go dig in the dirt and find your Bible there and find where the chapter was open. Well, the last time when I was really seeking the Lord, I was in Ephesians chapter three, go back there. Secondly, hold on. We're in the last days, guys. It's going to get harder before we see the light. It's going to get more difficult before the Lord comes. And thirdly, you need to repent. You need to be honest with God. God, I'm not going to say, well, I'm still living a great Christian life, but it could be better. God, I'm going to call it for what it is. I've been absolutely apathetic. I have not sought you. I have not been walking in obedience. The word repent means to turn around and go the opposite direction. You've been living in a slope agape. You've been walking down the narrow road like a drunken man trying to follow that one line. And you've been wandering all over upon the road that leads, the broad road that leads to destruction. Get back on the center of that narrow road that leads to life. Gotta repent. I'm not gonna keep living this coming Monday the way I've lived in the last however many Mondays. Every week now is going to be lived like it once was when I was on fire for you, when I was alive, living in obedience to you. Don't let another day go by. Repent. This is a radical warning here. He goes on to say, the last part of verse 3 there, therefore, if you will not watch, if you're not going to give yourself to this prayerful life of the Spirit, I'm not going to give myself to prayer. It's too difficult You're asking too much of me. Going to church once a week is all I can do. That's, I got a busy schedule. I'm not gonna give myself to the word every day. I'm not gonna, it's too much. I'm too busy. Once the kids are raised or once my business takes off or once I get my college education out of the way, then I can, but right now I can. not Guys, be careful. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Now this is radical because he says, I'm going to come and it's going to take you off guard as a thief breaking into a house. Notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Notice what the Lord says here. He's talking to the Thessalonian church and he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon you As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now listen to verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light, sons of the day. We're not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and of love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. And then he goes on saying, comfort each other with these words. But interesting, he says plainly here to the church in Thessalonica, you, it will not take you as a thief in the night. That's the world. To the world who doesn't know God, it's going to catch them off guard. It's going to catch them Like a thief in the night. In Luke chapter 21, it says this. The gospel of Luke 21 verse 34, it says this. But take heed to yourself. Lest your hearts be weighed down. How do your hearts get weighed down? Here it is. With carousing. Drunkenness. And notice this. The cares of this life. You just get busy and sidetracked. I've got school. I've got work. I've got bills. I've got kids. I've got parents. I've got... My job, I've got my hobbies, I've got my sports, I've got all of these things, and all of a sudden God has pushed farther and farther back till I have no relationship with Him at all. And that day come upon you unexpectedly. Whoa. Verse 35, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And verse 36, watch therefore and pray. How? Always, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. It's a radical thing that he says to the church here. You, like the rest of the world, are going to miss the coming of the Lord. Like the rest of the world, that it's going to come as a snare upon them as I rapture Christians off the planet all the way around. Pilots and people are navigating boats and People who are in charge of the water systems and the sewer systems of the world, and all of a sudden, planes are without pilots and trains are without engineers, and the key people are, are missing. What a snare that's going to be on the whole face of the earth. And you, as he said last week to the church of Thyatira, if you don't repent, he said, I gave her time to repent but she would not repent. Therefore, I'm going to cast her and her children into the tribulation period. That's a pretty radical thing. I'm going to cast them into tribulation. And now he's basically in another way saying that to this church. I won't replace your religiousness with a genuine daily walk with me. I'm not going to replace it. I won't accept your church attendance as if you're living a life of obedience to me. I won't accept all your good works as if you are living a moral, obedient, holy life before me. God is speaking to some today and he says, the one who has the angels, the one who is speaking to the churches, the church can't say, I I didn't know. I had no idea. I didn't realize my apathy was that serious of an offense against God. You can't say, I didn't know. Because here in his word, he has warned us. And he says, we need to fight the good fight, guys. It's a good fight. Get back in the battle. Get back on the narrow road that leads to life. There's nothing better than a clean hands and a pure heart. There is nothing better than to receive daily from the riches of God's word, spending time with him in prayer. It's the sweetest of the sweet. There's nothing sweeter. It's the best of the best. His joy, his peace, his life. Repent. Come back. His arms are open wide to receive you. Let's all bow our heads here. Lord, we thank you for this day. And we do thank you for the exhortation from your word. Heavy stuff. Not light. (laughs) And Lord, we know if we weren't teaching through the whole Bible, this would probably never really tie into that nice of a topical message. It would be a hard thing to hear. But Lord, we come back to you now. Like the prodigal son who got up out of his pig pen mess and came to a sense as coming back to the Father. As all heads are bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to talk first of all to you here that have come today, that have never given your life to Christ. The Lord would like to take your sins away. If you're here today saying, I want my sins sins taken away. I want to have forgiveness of sins. I want the guilt of my sin taken away. I want God to write my name in the Lamb's book of life that I have an eternal life with him in heaven forever. If you're here today saying, I want to make Christ the Lord of my life, just lift up your hand right now saying pray for me, Brian, would you? Lift it up real high. Christ hung high upon a cross for you. God bless you, sir. Is there any others here today? I want my name written in the book of life. Yes. I see your your hand. Yes. A number of you. God bless you. Also, if you're here today and you're saying, you know, that's me. I'm not living some horrible, sinful life right now, but I'm dabbling. My ways are definitely not perfect before God. My apathy has finally caught up with me. I know on the outside, it looks like I'm alive. I've convinced others that I have a name, a reputation. But inside, I'm a shallow person. Inside, I'm a core of what I once was. I'm not where I need to be, but I want to get back there. I repent today. Just lift your hand up right now. Yes. God bless you. Just those who lifted your hands a minute ago, lift them up again, if you would. Everybody said, "I want Christ to come to my life." Yes, Lord, you see all of these right now. Lord, their hands lifted, saying, "It's me, it's me, it's me, it's me." Oh Lord, stand they need a prayer. Bring them to yourself. Jesus said, "This, if you'll humble yourself, then I can lift you up." And what I'm going to ask in just a moment is all of you who lifted your hand, and there is a couple of dozen of you at least. And there may be others who didn't have the boldness to lift your hand. I'm going to ask in a minute, I'm going to have everybody stand up and I'm going to ask all of you to come forward to say, it's me. I'm coming to get my life right with God. I'm coming to surrender to him. I don't care what my family thinks or my friends or my husband, my wife, my parents. I don't care what anybody else thinks. There's only one thing that matters to me and that I leave this building today forgiven, having repented knowing there's a giant smile on god's face because i've said lord i'm humbling myself before you that you can lift me up i'm going to ask everybody to stand and this is your opportunity to get out from where you're at and to come let's all stand up right now get out of your seats right now and just make your way don't care what anybody else thinks god bless you thank you lord thank you god thank you lord we thank you for all the hearts you touched last service lord and we thank you for all of these here today and there's many of you. You raised your hand. Come forward. You had the boldness. Don't worry about your pride. You got to die to that stuff. Die to your pride. Yeah, thank you, Lord. You're amongst family, you're amongst friends. We're going to give it just one more minute. We're going to sing this song once, and it's your opportunity. Come now. You alone, our Father, and you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for touching these hearts, God. Lord, we thank you for washing us all today in your word. We thank you for sending your word and healing us. And Lord, there's some here today that for the first time are coming to receive you, Lord. We know that all of heaven is rejoicing. But there's also some who once walked in you in truth. And like the prodigal son's dad said there, my son who was lost is found. My son who was dead is now alive. And there's some here who have come apathetically to death as a Christian, to the place where they're no longer obedient, no longer in fellowship, no longer fruitful they're repenting today and we thank you that all of heaven rejoices for that as well And I'm going to pray a prayer and let it express the attitude of your heart let's all as a church family this morning pray together to make these feel at home and comfortable dear heavenly father I know that you love me but I am a sinner and I've sinned against you and all of heaven forgive me through the death and the resurrection and the blood of Jesus Christ take away my sin now take the throne of my heart be my Lord and my God I submit myself to your will from this day forward in Jesus name bless all those who have heard your word today in truth that it continue to go forward and accomplish all that it was sent out to do In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. If you uh, need prayer, you can come forward and the elders will anoint you with oil and pray for you. Before you head out, meet somebody you don't know and say, What's one thing I can pray for you this week about? Get their name and a prayer request and meet somebody new. You came forward, just two minutes of your time. We want to encourage you and make sure you're getting started on the right foot in your Christian walk. God bless you.